I was at the World Cup with Ireland in 1999. I worked with Wasps when they were seventh in the league. I worked with Leicester Tigers when they went, they'd gone for four seasons without winning anything. Um, so I, I like, I do like to work with the, with the underdogs. So, you know, we, we were doing lots of mindfulness in the morning, self-awareness, journaling practices. Um, we did a lot of circle work where we kind of some deep check-ins because it was a high pressure environment for these guys. They're not used to it. So and then all of a sudden we've got so much input going into the nervous system that can accelerate transformation. It, it's, it's, it's not enough to think positively, you know, a, a percentage of those players you will resonate with and you will want to love. And a percentage of those players unconsciously will trigger the fucking life out of you. Most elite performers have some kind of trauma. Hey, I hope you're keeping well. I'm Brian Moylet, former rugby player, now mindset and performance coach. And welcome to the pod. This podcast is about well-being and high performance. And in it, you will learn how you can be happier, more fulfilled and more successful. I recently wrote the book on how to become a pro rugby player, Forward by Robbie Henshaw, which went to number one in the charts. And you can get this now on Amazon and Audible with the links in the show notes. Please connect me now over on social media at Brian Moylet and at Offfield Rugby. If you enjoyed the pod, please subscribe to it, leave a rating and review wherever you're listening now. And also, you can send it on to some friends. Would really appreciate that. All right, we'll get into today's episode. Cheers. Hey, I'm keeping well. Today I'm chatting with Craig White, who is just back from the World Cup with Chile and has also worked with teams in rugby like the Lions, Wasps, uh, Wales, among others. Brilliant to be chatting, Craig. Yeah, I love I love what you do and your passion for what you do, and uh, I'm looking forward to a good yarn, as they say in New Zealand. Cheers. Uh, so, how was the World Cup? Um, yeah, the World Cup is a good experience. It was a, it was an amazing experience. Um, now, I've been before with Ireland. I've been before with Uruguay, and um, it's just an epic tournament. You know, I was at the grand final the other day, the Rugby League grand final, and it was great, but it's just not a patch on something like the Rugby World Cup. It's just such an incredibly organised tournament. And it's great to see teams like Chile um, qualifying. It's great to see teams like Portugal beating um, beating Fiji. You know, everybody wants all the tier two teams to get better, but there's still something beautiful about this kind of David and Goliath that you want to get in a World Cup. Yeah, absolutely. And how did it come about then working with Chile? It's just through World Rugby. I've, I've been a consultant for World Rugby for, for over 10 years now, on and off. And, um, and it, it fits with my lifestyle. You know, some years I, I have kind of, you know, 150 days. Other years I have 20, 30 days. It really fits with how I want to live my life. And uh, over the years I've, I've worked with all, a lot of different teams. You know, I've been with Georgia back in the day. Um, in World Cup cycles and uh, spent the last six years spending a lot of time in South America with Uruguay and, and teams like Chile. Popped over to Brazil a couple of times and uh, yeah, it, uh, it was an opportunity that uh, I wanted to step into. I was at the last World Cup with Uruguay and that was a great experience and, uh, and I love the South American culture. It, uh, it really fits with my personality and uh, yeah, I feel I feel really great with that 
culture. Cool. And what is it about that culture? I've never been to South America. Well, one, I, I mean, on one hand, I like working with the underdogs. Um, I mean, you've looked at my career, it doesn't always seem that way, but, you know, I worked with Ireland when they were pretty poor. <laughs> I was at the World Cup with Ireland in 1999. I worked with Wasps when they were seventh in the league. I worked with Leicester Tigers when they went, they'd gone for four seasons without winning anything. Um, so I, I like, I do like to work with the, with the underdogs. And, um, so this was a, just an, another opportunity to do that really, but I don't know. There's something about, uh, these kind of, especially Chile and Uruguay, Uruguay have excelled a little bit more than, than Chile and they've been kind of professional for longer, but, um, there's something about going into that, um, environment that's trans transitioning from a long history of amateurism to a new history of professionalism. And yeah, it reminds me of, of the early days of professionalism in the UK as well. You know, everybody's got a thirst for learning. There's not a sense of entitlement in the squad. You know, everybody listens, everybody's a sponge. And um, it's, it's a win-win really, because I feel significant. I feel, I feel like I matter. And obviously they um, get to pick my brains as well because they kind of hold me up high because of my experience on the, on the tier one international stage and on the club stage. So yeah, it's a win-win really. And I also like uh, the openness of the culture as well. You know, the openness of the South American teams and, um, yeah, it, 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 it's just something that I like. Cool. Yeah. And what exactly was your title and then what were you doing uh, with them? Yeah. Well, my title's changed a lot over the years and, um, it, on one hand it helps to keep me evolving. You know, I, I want to continue to evolve. I don't even like to use a title if I'm being honest, mm. but you know, with recruiting clients and social media, we kind of need titles, but I don't really want a title. I just want to go in there and fit with the dynamics of that culture. Um, but my role this time was a little bit like my role with Uruguay last time. On one hand, I do have the experience to oversee different elements of the program. I do have the experience to still mentor the head of S&C, but Pablo, the head coach of, of Chile, really brought me in as that uh, that team cohesion piece, you know, that team connection piece and mental skills. And um, even though it was a World Cup, it, I still love working with teams like Chile because it's also a laboratory for me. I get to experiment with things that maybe I couldn't do in a tier one where it's a little bit more rigid. So, you know, we, we were doing lots of mindfulness in the morning, self-awareness journaling practices. Um, we did a lot of circle work where we kind of some deep check-ins because it was a high pressure environment for these guys. They're not used to it. So, um, yeah, it, it was, it was a lovely opportunity for me to get really close with, with the group of players, especially. Cool. Yeah. And with the journalists, like you mentioned mindfulness journaling and the circle work, um, journaling, what kind of stuff were you doing there? Um, I mean, the mindfulness was, was based around meditation and breath work, really. So we do meditations, we do body scanning, we do all different types of breath work, which was geared towards getting them, into, getting them out of the head and into a, a place of, of center. And then from that place of the center, I'd just give them exploratory questions. You know, if, as an example, a question might be, no, who do you want to be at the weekend? How are you going to move towards that? A question might be, you know, what do you love about yourself? What do you not love about yourself? What you can change about yourself and, and so on. Um, 
yeah um post game the day after meditation followed by you know what specifically did you do well what specifically did you do not well what can you control this week in order to perform better so just a lot of a lot of self-awareness questions i mean we don't ask ourselves enough questions like that so we were asking them on a daily basis which is quite useful for them also outside of rugby as well it's useful you know i i view my role as being involved from a rugby perspective I, I view my role as being involved in performance enhancement of course and winning but also for me it's much more than that you know i want these guys to be better people i want these guys to prepare for fatherhood i want these guys to be better friends and and sons and and um and brothers yeah brilliant and i love what you're saying there yeah about bringing yourself to the center and getting out of your head and then doing that kind of who you want to be at the weekend before the game and also the review um after but yeah, yeah something i'm fascinated with is is what you said there so getting out of your head into your body quietening the mind and then thinking about who you want to be at the weekend and that's yeah. something yeah. that for all of us in life it's like who do you want to be because you know and it's not about being someone you're not it's about bringing all of you out 100 percent, and and it's important to practice that and that's why in a container like a Rugby World Cup where you've got a minimum of four weeks, it's just a beautiful opportunity to at least try and change that hard wiring in the nervous system because we can all say, okay, I'm going to start asking myself who do I want to become and I'm going to start meditating and manifestation. But it only works if it's, if it's um, relentlessly practised because otherwise the unconscious just takes over and guys are stuck in the past and they start to predict the future based on painful episodes of the past and nothing changes you know they get to five years down the line they're still having the same thinking thoughts and actions and so in order to change and, and transform we, we really have to change the message on the multi-sensory levels so it, but it has to be practiced and if it's if it's practice then we can change behavior we can change thought patterns and emotional patterns but it has to be practiced absolutely and yeah, sometimes I find it myself, uh, don't know, do you do it or, but affirmations, like writing it down. And so every morning and night I do it. And, you know, I write down that, like, essentially kind of who I want to be, you know, kind of like who I want to be. Yeah. 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 It has to be relentless. And it's more, it's more powerful, the more senses we involve. So if we're trying to, if we're trying to practice thinking differently and we practice visualizing something differently and we practice speaking differently, and we practice our internal dialogue differently, and we practice talking emotions differently, and we practice standing and walking differently, then all of a sudden we've got so much input going into the nervous system that can accelerate transformation. It, it's, it's, it's not enough to think positively, you know? We, we have to really combine uh, multisensory um, information into the, into the nervous system and it becomes more powerful when that's done from a place of presence. So that's hence why we get to a place of presence and then we start to change the script. Always start to inquire into changing the script. Yeah. And it feels like you're being fake at first, doesn't it? You know, well, I, I suppose, yeah, because you're not being who you've always been. Of course, of course. I mean, if you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always got, right? So, yeah. It, it, um, and, and, and look, the world of psychology 50 years ago would have said you can't change your personality. It's impossible. But now we know we can. We know, we know for sure 
even through neuroscience and studies, for sure we can change. Yeah, and it's yeah, it's 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 a process as well. Like you say, it's do it's re, yeah, relentless. It's great you mention that because it is. I I remember hearing this stuff a few years ago, and you you do it for a few days. Ah, sure, that won't work. Ah, sure, because yeah. I'm not seeing results. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and then with men without masses, kind of couldn't that. But um, I I love what you put on LinkedIn and the different things and. What are some of the stuff you do there in, in the retreats and working with men, I suppose, outside of rugby? Yeah, so, so I mean, so I created a brand called Men Without Masks about eight years ago, nine years ago, and it was it was actually at a time where I'd fallen out of love with rugby and I, I didn't really want to work in rugby, but I had the skill set around holding space with men and leadership with men. And, and and then I went on this journey of self-discovery, which I've spoke about a lot on podcasts. And then um, I kind of created this this these retreats that I run for men, and we call it Men Without Masks. And um, I mean, however you want to dress leadership up, it is leadership really in the sense of it's men coming together to want to be better men. And some of men are coming together because they want to learn more about the past and turn the pain into purpose and integrate the trauma. And other men just want to be more present in relationships and other men come because they want to be better in the future and they've had some success, but they know there's so much more inside of them. So the, the magic of the retreats that I run is that it's not targeted towards one sect of men. You know, within a we ran one last week and within a room of, of 20 men, you could have you could have a young lad, his, his mum's paid for him, you could have a multi-million pound business owner, you could have an architect, you could have a builder, you could have an artist, you could have a drug dealer, you could have someone that's just come out of prison, you, you know, there was marketing gurus, there was teachers, there was rugby players, there was a rugby coach. The, the magic of a retreat like that is, it's it's for me, it's it's super, super transformational. You don't get that on the outside world because on the outside world, we tend to gravitate, gravitate to people that are like us and we tend to step away from people that are very different to us. So... Uh, yeah, I, I created the retreat as a as a trial about seven years ago, but the the transformation that happens is is epic, and it's something that I'll probably do for the rest of my life. Cool, and I'd imagine on it there's a lot of letting the guard down and opening up, and something yeah. that look I've only once again learned in the last recent <laughs> while, um, unfortunately. But yeah, chat to you about that process as well for people who. Yeah, I mean, it's called Men Without Masks. Um, you know, we, excuse me, we grow up in this crazy world that we're born into. And, um, you know, as a kid, or as a young baby, we have this fascination for life. And then, you know, in a very short space of time, we, because we long to be loved and we long to belong and we, we long to have a sense of connection and significance and feel like we're, we're, this life is worth living, we very early on and, and more so as we get older, we adopt certain strategic behaviors and we show a certain way of behaving to the world, especially the ones that we feel are liked the most or received the most by our caregivers. So whatever it is that predisposes us to receive love, we'll adopt that behavior and we'll relegate everything else into what we call the basement or the shadow or you know whatever you want to call it in psychological terms. And then we kind of go through life, but 
it used to be called a midlife crisis where we'd have a knock on the door, there'd be some kind of unrest, you know, what's this life I've been given? Did I choose it? You know, what is life about? Is it actually about this? What about all this? He's like that and she's like that and why am I like that? And we tend to go on this journey of self-discovery or we distract and we continue to do um, the things we've always done, drunk, alcohol, distract with porn, Netflix, social media, sex addictions, whatever you want and nothing changes. Or we look at it and we go on a journey and we transform. But what I'm trying to say is this transformation in the work that we do at Memory Lit Masks, it involves reclaiming the parts that we disowned growing up. So for example, in my case, I was raised by my mother because I was little and I grew up on a council estate in Wigan. I was raised to be a tough guy because my mum didn't want me to get bullied, which I did. So I suppressed everything that wasn't a tough guy, but everything I suppressed is needed in intimate relationships. So I struggled for many years in intimate relationships, but I didn't struggle on the rugby field. And I didn't struggle as a rugby coach because the skills I, I stepped into to receive love from mum and dad involved masculinity and linearity and process and systems, but it didn't involve the soft, nurturing, relational presence and listening skills. So I've had to kind of reclaim all that stuff, which has been a journey that's actually helped me as a coach. And sometimes it can be the opposite. You know, sometimes we we relegate our sexual side because there's been shame around it, or we relegate our capacity to dance and move in non-linear ways because we think it's the domain of women and not the domain of men. We put our shame into the shadow. Um, some of us were laughing and fun-loving as kids, and maybe we were shamed for it, and we stop being playful and, and joking, and we, we become stoic. So there's, there's so much that happens growing up in childhood that splits us from our true identity, so by removing the mask and really speaking our truth, which we do on retreat, it, it's, it's absolutely transformative. So in essence, what we do on retreat and what I do with my work with all men, including rugby men, is teach them to feel safe enough to speak the truth and express the truth. Because as men, we, we don't tell the truth because we, we have a fear of rejection. We have a fear of abandonment. We have a fear that nobody will love us if, if we speak the truth of what we're feeling. So it, it's, it's about creating safety and, and really speaking the truth. And miracles happen when we do that. Yeah, love it. And uh, two things, well, many things you mentioned there, were two I thought were brilliant or picked up on is um, the distraction. The distraction that we, I think we all do at times and you just look at your screen time and I'm always trying to reduce it. And, you know, in the past, you're like drinking drugs, porn, whatever it is, like you say, but screen yeah. time is something that everyone just has access to. And we distract from those feelings throughout the day. It's, um, it's only going to get worse. I mean, it's going to keep me in business because people will be looking for retreats for years, but yeah. it's, it's, it's going to get worse. Even some of the clients I'm starting to attract on a one-on-one -on -one, incredible human beings. Um, but it's almost as if the, the successful businessman that I seem to attract today, the young successful businessman, it's almost as if from the time he opens his eyes in the morning until the time he closes his eyes in the evening, every single micro unit of his day, he tries to control. Yeah. That's the, that's the problem. 
Now we can we we can live that way, and to be honest, if you live that way, in that systematic process-driven lifestyle of rules and linear ways of thinking, you'll probably be Brian really fucking successful in business, and you'll probably have uh, wealth and material wealth and possessions and 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 but you'll be incredibly busy and your soul will be crying out and it, those and, and most men not all men most men who live the life like that eventually either have a burnout or the wife leaves them or they've got relational problems because they've stuffed down all the relational skills and the non-linear ways of thinking and feeling and moving and and the capacity to be timeless because they govern their lives through time they try to control time and it's a challenge. And, and those are the guys actually that are really prone to midlife crisis because in midlife, there's a knock on the door, your body speaks and it wants you to open up to all the stuff you repressed growing up as a kid. So part of the work I do with men is helping men to become more whole, helping men to be successful in a linear way, but also in a relational way, you know, developing the skills to be successful in business or sport, which is often linear skills, but bringing back online and practicing the skills of timeless presence and empathic listening and, and just really being in tune with whoever it is they're relating to. So that's really what fascinates me. And to be honest, um, it, it probably wasn't my plan but I seem to be, and they probably don't realize when they come to me, but I seem to be attracting guys that are very successful in the, the domain of masculine control, but want to unconsciously or consciously really step more into that relational space and, and, and those soft skills and, and that, those nurturing skills, which is what I had to do actually, because I suppressed it for years. I don't know if you realize or if, or if you've experienced it yourself as a coach, you tend to attract people that are that want to walk the path that you've kind of walked down. Mm, yeah, hundred percent. And, and this applies as well for me. I, you know, I, you know, I still mentor coaches as well, and I still love it. And 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 again, I'm attracting some incredible people. You won't mind me saying this, but I I, I worked I worked really closely. I have done for a couple of years with Matt uh, Matty Pete. Um, it's just won the grand final with Wigan and that's an absolute joy because some of the work that we do together I would say most of the work that we do together has nothing to do with program design or tech tech physical medical you know it's all about connection and relationships and inspiration and getting the best out of people and belief and mindset you know which which some of the conversations I have with Matty is is it's just incredible that I'm having these conversations with a, with a coach working in professional sport. So I, I think head coaches, especially more than ever before, there's a need for mentorship. Some head coaches get put into a head coach position because they're actually good at being a head coach, but a lot of them get put into a head coach position because they've been a really good player or positions opened up or they've had a su success in a particular specific field of coaching, but being a head coach and managing people and leading people is a completely different skill set. So for me, every head coach needs a mentor. And I, I see the top ones doing that right now, but not enough head coaches have mentors. 
Hey, Brian here. I work one-on-one -on -one with rugby players, helping them perform better on the field, enjoy it more, and maximize their careers. If you feel like there's more in you and don't want to have regrets down the line, head over to offfieldrugby.com now and book a free 30-minute Zoom consultation. And the link is in the show notes. On the call, you talk to me about where you're at now, what you would like to achieve, and I'll show you how I can help you get there. You then go off and decide if you want to invest in yourself and move forward with the one-on-one -on -one coaching. For teams, I do mental skills sessions over Zoom. Players will have mindset shifts on the call, but also they'll get exercises to practice going forward. So it's like an S&C program, but for your mental strength. If you're a coach or manager of a team, you can book a free 30-minute Zoom consultation now as well on offfieldrugby.com. If you have any other questions, you can get in touch with me through my social media, at Brian Moylet, at Offfield Rugby, or the website, offfieldrugby.com. All right, cheers. We'll get back into today's episode. Yeah, fully agree. Everyone needs a mentor, don't everyone? For sure. For sure. Yeah. And it's interesting you you're touching on it earlier, but um the the process driven, the how you were, say, as a coach growing up, and, and that's I was as well as a young rugby player 15, 20 years ago, and it was how we were conditioned that we had to be, and the rugby environment was all that. There was no feminine, there was no, you know, relations or any of that to carry sure. on. Or, and you mentioned, I think you touched it, but it, that now is what a rugby coach is, I believe. It is the 50-50. Yeah. I mean, if you remember the back in the day, Brian, Brian, I mean, back in the day, I, 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 remember, I was lucky, lucky enough to be around as an SNC coach a couple of years before professionalism, actually, and then at the start of professionalism. And, and back in the day, because of what we inherited, you look at all the old coaching books, we inherited the belief, which was a patriarchal belief, that the coach was the one that told everybody what to do and everybody listened and nobody argued with the coach. So that was obviously influenced by the patriarchy. And because that's kind of breaking apart now, it's it's we're seeing the effects of that in, in professional sport. And it's wonderful now to see the top coaches leaning into, um, you know, different archetypes, you know, leaning into spirituality, leaning into relationship building. Not that there's anything wrong with having a strategic mind. You know, some coaches have such a natural talent of strategy that it makes sense for them to aim for mastery as a strategist, you know, and some coaches have a, great talent for mastery in relationship building and it makes sense for them to continue on that journey but to be more whole as a coach it, it is also necessary to delve into that those other archetypes of leadership yeah absolutely and you said about being more whole and you go for mastery and what you're good at and as players we talk about superpowers and you know what you excel at and you lean into that and you be all of that but um you still have to have that whole and when you're speaking something just I was reminded Owen Eastwood on the podcast he was speaking about um, the belonging and helping players feel like they belong and, and creating that culture and I remember I said um, oh well if that's not your skill as a coach then you get someone within your coaching team to do that and he was like no I don't believe that you can outsource that every single coach needs to be able to do that so 
it's not you know the the kind of quote unquote old school coach it's not a, it's nearly not not acceptable anymore to not try to build those relationships and have that I, I agree with that, but what I would also say is, whilst whilst generally that is true, I would also say that if a coach is incredibly left-brained, linear, process-driven, strategic, he has a capacity to see the future, he, he puts the roadmap in place, he's technically incredible, it could be difficult for him to really get in touch with his own you know, his own depth of connection. So I agree with what Owen said, but in order for a coach like that to step into that domain, he's got to do a shitload of work on himself, which probably would need therapy and probably a lot of mindfulness work. It just doesn't come naturally. He can't just start doing it because someone told him to do it. So that inner work and that self-leadership work and that self-awareness work for coaches is super 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 important yeah i agree fully um i agree fully um it would be certainly more challenging for others um, and yeah and then the big thing is the care like um that players know you care and so i suppose how you you have to if you are that person who's on the extreme end of the spectrum you, you still have to let i don't know in some way let them know that you care Oh, for sure, for sure. And even that might require an element of self-work because in a squad of 40 players, naturally, by default, a percentage of those players you will resonate with and you will want to love. And a percentage of those players unconsciously will trigger the fucking life out of you. And it's important as a coach to point the finger this way when that happens. You know, and never, ever, ever blame a player. Always, even if a player is at fault, it still makes you a better coach to say, hang on a minute, he didn't do what we wanted him to do. That's a fact, but let's just come in, let's rewind. How have we been talking to him recently? Do we understand him? Are we using the right language when we talk to him? Is he learning the best in this way? Do we need to speak to him in a different location to get the best of him? Do we need to stop telling him what to do instead ask questions? You know, there's so much growth in assessing the way we interact with players instead of blaming players. I'm just, if I hear coach, coaches blame players, I just walk out the room. It's just not acceptable. And the best ones don't do that. The best ones whoosh, turn it right in and, and those are the fastest learners as well. Yeah, I fully agree. And since you mentioned therapy earlier, I started going earlier this year for the first time ever. And the just for reasons like that, I was like, lots was going well, all was, you know, but I was just like, there's something more here. And it's been incredible. It's been incredible. Yeah. And you mentioned um, just on that last point, you mentioned earlier about the baby who looked at the world with awe and all the possibilities and smiling all the time and then things change and i think that that happens for every single person in the world you we get conditioned and we get hurt in school or caregivers or whatever it is but you have to every kid every player that you're coaching who pisses you off um was once that baby and it's yeah like you say you have to you can't blame them for it 
to an extent. Yeah. yeah, for sure. But if you haven't done any work on yourself, you will, because the, the, the pain of the trigger is so much, it's easier to give your pain to someone else. For example, if I've got anger issues or, or I've stuffed anger down because I didn't want to feel it as a kid, or I, I would probably get triggered by players that are pretty direct and, and can use their anger wisely. It, it would probably trigger the life out of me, for example. The same with tears. If I've grown up with a mother like I did who didn't allow me to cry and I see a player sobbing, I might think it's wrong because it's reflecting back at me what was wrong as a kid. So there's so much in that, you know, it, it's, it, but it does require expert guidance, you know, it, reading a book's not enough, therapy, coaching, you know, even mindfulness practice is, is necessary. Yeah. And on that, uh, you mentioned the tears. Once again, something I'm learning a lot of, and it's kind of related to what we've been talking about, but letting out your emotions, feeling your emotions and the importance of that. Because I think once again, rugby players, we are conditioned to be hard, be tough, um, just keep pushing forward, don't get affected by anything. And you think, I certainly did, that if you were to you know, cry, you do, you you try not to, but if you really had to, you go into a room where no one could see and make sure that it was quick and that you'd, you know. I mean, let's not forget as well. Again, this is a generalization, but let's not forget. Most elite performers have some kind of trauma as a kid. It doesn't have to be acute trauma. It doesn't have to be something massive. It could be something as simple as you know, your, your mother and father weren't really there for you as much. They didn't show attention. You felt abandoned. But there's some pain that drives nearly all professional athletes. So, and let's not forget that, you know, that they've managed to turn pain into some kind of purpose. And that's beautiful. Um, but if they still continue to work on themselves and integrate some of those repressed parts, it ain't going to it ain't gonna negatively influence the performance, in my opinion. It's going to make them even better. But let's not forget that, you know, pain's not all bad. Um, but it's but it is important that whenever we play finish his career his, his career, that he's got at least a level of self-awareness that will help him in his transition. The same with coaches as well. Yeah, and that's something I mentioned there. Pain, not all pain is bad or pain is important. Um very randomly I'd heard, I was listening sometime the opioid crisis in America and they did it because people are feeling pain and to get rid of all pain and then just giving them opioids. And once again, going back, that's what we do as people. We feel pain. So we eat, take, we get takeaways, we drink alcohol, we go on social media, Netflix. It's tough, isn't it? I mean, it's tough. It's, it, there's two, I mean, there's two, there's two drivers really towards those destructive habits. One is the pain and not wanting to feel the pain again and open the wound up. But the other side of the fence is it's almost impossible now as a human being not to be brainwashed, especially by advertising, especially by the media, especially by TV, especially by AI. You know, it's, it's almost impossible. And as you said earlier, the mobile phone is the master tool of manipulation but again brian you know i'm not going on my bandwagon here and saying phones are bad there's polarity in every single thing on this planet 
You know, your mobile phone can help you to grow a business. Your mobile phone can probably give you cancer. It will be found in 20, 30, 40 years. You know, your mobile phone can keep you in touch with your kids. Your mobile phone can keep you on high anxiety. It, it, there's polarity in everything, really. It, it's awareness that is the key, really, to balanced use of, of our mobile phone. Or in my case, having a really, really direct girlfriend that tells you um, to turn it off whenever I'm on it and I'm spending too much time on it. Yeah, 100%. You're, yeah, spot on with the polarity and the, the good and the bad. Um, but, yeah, it's something... And that awareness... It's an, it's an issue, though. I mean, even even... I'm not in it all the time, so I'm not used to it. But even when I was with Chile in the World Cup, you know, I've not been with the team for a full month for a while. And, you know, we're at a stage now in professional sports, probably the same in business. You almost have to have your phone with you in case the fucking schedule changes. Yeah, that's... You know, it's it's just... Uh, it's ridiculous. Like, you arrive at a new, a new hotel and you'd have 50 players, staff and players, sat in a room having dinner on arrival and there's an opportunity there to show and speak but instead you know that whatsapp oh we've got the schedule for tonight on our phone so unfortunately we live in that world now we live in that digital communication which is not good for human connection yeah fully so hence the benefit of having someone like me in the environment for uruguay were really they wouldn't need me if there was a lot of human interaction and connection, but because it's all digital, you know, there was there was opportunity for me to do the opposite. So I was with the players every single morning before breakfast, and twice a week we had what we call an ethos session, where it was about connection and checking in and making sure everybody's all right and speaking our truth. Um, and and it seems that that's needed. You know, that's needed now in uh, in groups, professional sport. Absolutely. And with those kind of check-in ethos sessions, how would you, I'm sure you've, you've done other work before and then they're kind of follow on every week, but like, how would you facilitate those? Um, the most important, in fact, I've got it in front of me here. It, it never moves. It's something, it's, it's a mantra that is in front of me all the time before I get on a Zoom call with clients. Um, Attunement is everything. Another way of saying that is presence is everything. So it doesn't matter what skill set you've got as a facilitator. It doesn't matter what your session is. You have to attune with every single person in that circle. And it's a cliche, but you have to attune to yourself as well. That's why meditation and breath work and all these embodiment practices and movement practice and, and mindfulness practice are really, really important for leaders because you have to attune with what's going on in yourself before you can attune, get in attunement with everybody in that circle. So that is the most important rule, Brian. And for me, you know, I'm confident of doing that. To be honest, it's probably my mas it's probably my superpower. Um, and it comes through practice. I've been with groups of men since I was eight. Um, but in terms of how I do that, you know, I'd be in the circle and I'd ground myself and the first thing I do is I make eye contact with every single person in, in the circle. If there's a topic of conversation, let's say they're laughing at something, I'd get into the energy of that. Tell me what you're laughing about. Laugh with them. And then once I'm in attunement with their energy, I can take them 
towards the place where I want them to go. An example, an example which I sometimes give is, you know, your team are Friday afternoon about to do a really important session and they're all kicking a football up and doing headers, you know, and the young SMC coach comes out with his plan and his stoic mindset, blows his whistle and nobody, nobody listens to him. And, but the experienced yeah. SMC coach runs over, gets involved, a few kick-ups, a few headers, and then blows his wrestle, right, let's go, boom, all of a sudden, everybody follows him. So you've got to get in attunement with the energy of the group. Um, and then what I've learned through the work I do with men outside of sport is that, you know, some players are quiet, some players are not quiet, but if you create aloud, some players want to speak a lot, some players don't want to speak that much. But if you create safety in a, in a group, and the circle is the best way to do that, you know, circle is a symbol of safety and wholeness and unity. If you create safety and presence and you create an opportunity for men to share, even if it's just one word, even if we say, right, lads, one word from everybody, which encapsulates what's going on for you right now, or two or three or one sentence, everybody benefits from that. And everybody has a desire to speak. Everybody wants to be seen as human beings without judgment. So we, we can start, we start with something like that. Other times it's a contemplative question. Other times we might have a physical check-in. I want you to show me with your body what's going on for you right now. Um, so there's different ways to do that. And then, and then um, sometimes we just create a forum for an offload, you know, especially with the Chile team in the World Cup, they were, you know, they were, it was new territory. There was anxiety through the roof. So sometimes we'd just get together and we'd have an opportunity for an offload. And a guy would share something and another guy would feel confident enough to share something. It's right, how do you feel now? Fucking hell, I feel miles better. You know, because the words can sometimes release the tension inside of the body. Sometimes we might do breath work, you know, really intensive breath work if I feel the team are, are, are a little bit tense. You know, sometimes we might do long exhalations, which calms down the parasympathetic nervous system. You know, sometimes it's a talking session, sometimes it's a movement session. Sometimes it's a walk on the beach. Sometimes it's a swim in the ocean. Sometimes it's a song. You know, Chile, Chile, they had a song that they sung, and sometimes that is necessary to, to regulate the nervous system. So there's, the, there's, there's so many ways to kind of hold that type of uh, circle. But, but for me, um, that's probably where my strength lies in that circle and what we can do in that circle. Oh, I love it. That's incredible. Love it. Brilliant. Um... Yeah, the match and the energy is is so good as well and true. And it's the same. I actually had a sales job years ago, and they mentioned that matching, like matching the energy of the other person. You know, if they're yeah. if they're if they're low energy, you be low. Don't come at them with high energy. If they're high energy, don't come at them with low energy. And um, yeah. it made sense to me. And it's um, the same with coaching. Yeah, it's, you're you're just yeah, it's just so so true because you'll you'll connect with the person. Of course, of course. Everybody deserves connecting with. Yeah. One hundred million percent. But but the realm of human connection, it's not as easy as it sounds, Brian. Mm -hmm. Because because that interface between two human beings is a whole load of past and and story and stuff comes up and. It's not as easy as it sounds. It's easier to connect with some people. It's really difficult to connect with others. And there's a, there's a lot in that interface. There's a lot of information. And again, 
it, it requires work, it requires reflection, it requires support, it requires a mentor. You know, some of the clients that I work with in rugby, they'll they'll ask me questions like, um, you know, I've got this meeting coming up with the CEO. How do I connect with him? How do I show him that I care? You know, we'll break down the energy of the CEO, what type of personality he is, how to approach him, what to do before you go in the room. You know, there's a, there's a lot there's a lot in it to practice before it becomes autonomous, and that's what fascinates me. It fascinates me. Human connection fascinates me more than any other facet, um, and it's probably because when I was younger, it was a void of mine. You know, I was just a one-track pony. I was very direct. Love telling people what to do, and 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 you know, even in my job with Wales. I don't know, 14 years ago, maybe. Looking back in retrospect of that, that was a painful experience for me because I had a few disconnects with people, personality types. But looking back now, I know exactly why. Because they used to reflect back at me what I'd suppressed in myself. And so that was, it was a painful time, but it's been beautiful because since then, I've really gone on the self-discovery journey to... Um, cultivate self-awareness and deepen my capacity to connect with people. And it wouldn't have come if I hadn't have experienced that void, you know? Yeah, that's really cool. That's cool. And yes, you're so right about the, the external triggers are learning points just to sit with it. Yeah. I mean, I mean, of course, everything's, not everything is a psychological trigger brain, you know. Sometimes we get triggered because, you know, we might have some information that a player gets paid or a coach get paid, gets paid 40 grand more than me, but we, we do the same type of work. So it's not like a personal trigger. It's just something that we're pissed off with or, you know, he's had a promotion and I've not. So there are triggers that are not really related to a reflection of the past, but... Uh, I would say that in, in most cases, you know, if a trigger is persistent and it's always there around a certain individual or group, then it's definitely something we can learn from. Yeah. Yeah, great point. And the really interesting you just mentioned a few times about being present and just with uh, going into the CEO with uh, what you did at this do at the start of those circles is you're becoming present and attuned with the energy and it's come up a few times and something I think it's the same for players it's the same for coaches it's the same for everyone is that we get in our heads about like you say with the session plan the whatever I'm going to say what you're in your head and what we need to do I think correct me if I'm wrong but nearly in all facets of life to an extent probably but is is be present and trust that the right actions will come, trust that the right words will come, trust that you will be okay in the meeting, in the coaching session, in the match that you're about to play. Um, yeah, you have to, that's the challenge, but it, it always works out when you do that. It does. I mean, I mean, one of the, one of the mantras that I use a lot, I ran a men's retreat last week, it was five days, and I probably said this mantra about a hundred times to the men over the five days. Presence builds trust you know it presence builds trust if you're not present with someone don't expect them to trust you it it it, it, it sounds simple but again it's not you know presence builds trust and there's, there's there's i see too many men who are mr nice guys who try 
to be present with everybody and say yes to everybody. But the problem is when you say yes to everybody, you're not truly present. You're not living authentically. So, you know, for me, learning to mean yes when you say yes, but also learning to say no because you're not present is a key aspect of leadership. Too many men are yes men. You know, they, they don't want to upset people. It's much better to say, actually, it's a no because I'm not present right now, but I promise you I've full I've got full presence for you tomorrow at 8.30 for 15 minutes. Mm. And of course, the phone, you know, it's, we're going downhill from here. You know, the phone, it's, it's robbing presence. It's robbing our energetic presence. Absolutely. And you, you pick up the phone for even one minute, even 10 seconds, and you're going to be in your head for the next 20, 30, 40 minutes. Yeah. And if I'm with a leader, it happens, it happens a lot with busy CEOs, for example. It's not a generalization. It's, it is a generalization, I mean. It's not all CEOs, but a lot of them are in high-powered positions. If I'm with them and, and the phone rings and they answer it, that's it. I don't trust them. They've gone. I mean, what a trust killer. You're present with someone and, and then you answer your phone. I got it in the neck the other night because I did it with my, my missus and it was like World War Three, you know, because presence builds trust. Oh yeah, you're so true. If you're sitting having a coffee with someone, they start checking their phone, it's like, come on, oh yeah. But maybe it's there, it could be their, um, not awkwardness or anxiety or maybe their awkwardness with being present might be very difficult for them as well. Because I would. Yeah. Because it, it's, it, it's tough. And that's why it really is the realm where courage is, is required because you don't need courage to do a degree. You don't need courage to do a master's. You don't need courage to go on a mentorship journey with a coach. You don't need courage to, um, to read a shitload of books. I don't think you need courage. To, maybe I'm wrong, but you don't, you don't need courage to um, speak about what you've got on a podcast. But you do need a lot of fucking courage to really lean into that relational space, especially when it's a relationship that needs a level of repair. Because all relationships, Brian, whether it's with yourself, your mate, your girlfriend, your wife, your teammate, go through three, three phases always. Harmony, disharmony, repair. Harmony, disharmony, repair. And not, not enough leaders lean in when relationships need to be repaired it's tough it's hard but that's what also builds immense trust in immense relationships 100 percent unreal well um we'll leave it there thanks a mill craig yeah. for your time. Probably got, probably got minutes if you want to do one more question Oh, uh, yeah. What advice would you give to your younger self, say 25 years old or starting out in that pro rugby environment? What advice would I give to my younger self? It's funny you should ask that question because I've written an ebook with, with that very title. I've just not published it yet. I've just got to tidy it up. Um, what advice would I give to my younger self? The first piece of advice would be it's okay to cry. There's no negative emotions. Um, it's okay to get angry, but don't get aggressive. Not everybody sees the world the way you do. Learn to accept other people's view of the world. 
Um, money's not evil. Could be one. And um, the last one would be, I'm just going off the cuff here. The last one would be, you must accept that until the day you die, there'll always be an equal amount of challenge and support in your life. And they're both complementary opposites, not opposites. Yeah, yeah, we, we could do a podcast yeah. just on that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Because we always think, oh, when I get here, it'll be good and you have success. But then there's wherever you go, there's always those challenges that are always there throughout life. Of course. You know, we get cocky, we get arrogant, life does life will throw something at us to balance us. We get down in ourselves, depressed, we, we become a victim, and life gives us something to balance us. So true. The universe, God, whatever you want to call it, has a great um, way of doing that. Cheers for listening into the pod today. If you're new to the pod, welcome. Be sure to check out some earlier episodes and subscribe wherever you're listening so that you get the new episodes when they're released. In my mid-twenties, I began studying the mind and that led me to playing the best rugby in my life and enjoying it so much all the time, like regardless of results. Whereas when I was younger, there were highs and lows and it felt uncertain, like I was on a roller coaster. But then when I began developing and harnessing my mind, it felt like I'd absolutely cracked the code. Now I work one-on-one with players and yes, I help you overcome challenges and we do mental skills work so that you can consistently perform at your peak. But I also help you expand your mind and grow as a person. You know the way you often feel like you have more in you. You have more to express. You have more to bring. And it kind of gets frustrating when, yes, you're getting some results, but you know you have more inside you. I help you bring that out. Every single player that I've worked with one-on-one for over 12 months has made a team that they didn't think they could make in that time and or signed a new increased contract that way more than covered the investment that they made in themselves for the one-on-one coaching. If you're a player or coach and would like to learn more, head over to offfieldrugby.com now and book your free 30-minute Zoom consultation with me. Through this podcast, I want to help millions of people live happier, more fulfilled and more successful lives because I absolutely know that it's possible. If you want to be an absolute legend now and help me out, there's three things you can do. First is to share the pod. You can send it on some friends, share it on social media, and simply just tell people about it. Second, you can leave a rating and a review wherever you're listening now. On Apple Podcasts, when you click into the pod, you can scroll down and there's an option to leave a review and up to a five-star rating. And on Spotify, when you click into the pod, On the left-hand side, you'll see a little star. You can click on that and then leave up to a five-star rating again. And third thing, lastly, just make sure you're subscribed wherever you're listening. Those three things, sharing the pod, leaving a rating and a review and subscribing really, really help the podcast grow. 
helps us help more people. So thank you so, so much. Please connect with me over on social media. Instagram is at Brian Moylet, at Offfield Rugby. LinkedIn is Brian Moylet. And any thoughts, questions, feedback, please let me know. I would love to hear from you. Thanks, Emil, for listening today. I really, really appreciate it. Be good to yourself, get after it, and I will see you next week. Cheers.